Hey, good morning once again. I would like to echo what Spencer just said. You know, last week we were talking about the, the beautiful weather, uh, the warmth. Some of you guys were wearing shorts and t-shirts. Uh, we went hiking like three times last week, and then Friday we had 10 inches of snow that dumped on us. So springtime here in Colorado. Thank you guys for joining us today. We are finishing, we're actually nearing the end of this series on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 called Love Is. So in just a few short weeks, <clears throat> a few short weeks, we celebrate Easter together, and it seems like it sneaks up on us every single year, but it is by far the one single Sunday where people are looking for an opportunity to go to church. They're looking for a place, and I want to encourage you guys to just be praying over the next few days about who the Lord would lead you to invite to join you at one of our services on Easter Sunday. We're excited about uh, some of the things that we're working on for that week, but here, here's how, let's work out a partnership here, okay? I gotta have your attention here. We gotta have a partnership. If you will work hard to invite your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, if you'll work hard to invite them, the staff, the ministry teams here are gonna work our very best to, to offer a wonderful Easter service. And we're praying that the Holy Spirit would move on their hearts to bring them back as well. And so what we have is we have some invitation cards that we're making available for you guys that would be able to share the details. When you invite somebody to church and you can give them one of those cards that lets them know the service times and the address and different things like that. God bless you. We got a lot of sneezing going on in our house right now, so I'm just saying that every other sentence, it seems. But anyhow, at the Welcome Center, when you leave today, we have some of those invite cards, and feel free to just grab by, or stop by, grab a handful of those, and use those um, at Liberty this, over the course of the next couple of weeks. People are looking for a place to go to church on Easter, and we're praying that the Holy Spirit would just move on them while they're here, and that God would have an opportunity to do something absolutely amazing in their life I'll tell you this, there's a, there's a great joy that comes with this. That all begins with you. Somebody else's eternity could absolutely begin with your invitation. Isn't that amazing? So I want to encourage you guys over the course of the next few weeks to just be inviting people for Easter services. We're excited about that. There's a few changes that we're still working on uh, to be ready for that. Uh, but you'll, you'll experience some of those this next week with our new service times as well. So today we are drawing close to wrapping up this series, and really over the course of the last six weeks now, we have looked at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, and this has been enjoyable and convicting at the same time. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've, we've read through this passage, this beautiful passage that so many people have read at their weddings. A lot of people will frame this and they'll hand it on their, hang it on their walls. But when you start to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and you look at it as a mirror of what God is looking for in your own life, it really starts to step on your toes and it can get uncomfortable. So um, how many of you guys are with me over the last six weeks, there's been some conviction that's happened in your own life with these, these topics that we've been talking about. So today we are, um, we're looking at chapter, uh, chapter 13, we're looking at verse 7. And as we look at this, you, the picture here of 1 Corinthians 13 is really a, a maybe illustrated best by light that passes through a prism. And no, this did not come off of a Pink Floyd album. This is actually a, a, some, some graphics here, okay? As light passes through a prism, 
and it separated out into its various colors. All these colors joined together to produce light. This is the same concept that Paul is talking about as he is describing love in its component parts, that all of these characteristics together, they work together to make true love. And that's really what we are looking at and what we'll continue today. We'll pick up at verse 7, but first let's take a moment and read what we've covered so far. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And then today we'll look at these three characteristics here. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. This morning we'll start by looking at this first characteristic that Paul identifies, and he says that love always protects. Now there's a lot of different perspectives of what protection looks like, and in your thinking, when I say that love guards or love protects, oftentimes the first thing that we think of is a physical protection. In fact, there's, it's been probably five years ago now that our son Braden was with us at Chick-fil-A. How many of you guys love some Chick-fil-A? All right, it's a good win for parents because it's great food, but it also has a great play area, most of them that you go to, all right? So our son, Braden and our daughter, Brooklyn, who is about two years old at the time, are playing in that play area. And Brooklyn is running around, and she's having the time of her life, but there is this other kid there. It's probably not your kid. Somebody else's kid. But this kid starts to pester our little Brooklyn. Follows her around, is pushing on her, is, is just not being nice to our, our little daughter. And my son, Braden sees this. And so the kid, my, my daughter, Brooklyn, goes up on the slide, and she comes down the slide, and this kid follows her, and this kid's coming down the slide too. And so Brooklyn goes by, and my son, Braden is looking. As soon as Brooklyn goes by, he steps in front of the slide. I'm trying to remember this right, okay? The kid comes down, and he just pushes the kid down against the slide. And I'm on the other side, and we're, you know, it's, it's like, how long do you leave him there before you tell him he needs to let go? <laughs> He's protecting his sister, right? Now, listen, that is a picture that a lot of us think of when we talk about protection, but it is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul's not talking about a physical protection. He's actually talking about guarding someone's heart. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit here. But the word that he uses for protects is a Greek word, stego. And this word means to cover like a roof covers a house. So a roof is designed to shield people from storms and from the harmful elements, extreme temperatures, right? It covers and it protects. And we all recognize that in our lives, we have different seasons, and not all seasons are pleasurable. In fact, some seasons are, in life are very difficult, and they're very stormy. There are moments when outside circumstances seem to just rain down on us. There are also times when we 
have made poor decisions, we've made personal mistakes, and we've blown it. And it's caused problems. And if we have no covering to guard us during those stormy times, it becomes incredibly difficult for us to survive spiritually or emotionally. There's damage that happens. And so this word that Paul uses, stego, he's giving us this illustration of how love serves like a protection for others during difficult times. A person who's put on this love will guard, they will protect, they will cover like a roof covers in the storms of life. And so we come back to the the meaning of this, this kind of protection that Paul is speaking about. Again, we'll oftentimes default in our thinking about physical protection, but this passage points out that love is called to guard hearts. Love is called to guard hearts. So let me give you another example of this kind of protection, but it's one that more closely resembles what Paul is referring to in this passage. When someone makes a mistake and they cause things to go wrong, You've never done this, but other people have. They've made mistakes, and because of their mistake, things go horribly wrong. And people around them get upset, and they start to condemn. Paul says this love that protects is the kind of love that would stop and say, you know what, we've all made mistakes. Let's extend grace to this person. See, love protects others from harsh words, from unnecessary pain. It doesn't expose their flaws. We all have flaws. We all make mistakes. But love does not expose those. So we live in this world right now. As we've wrestled through a lot of these characteristics, we we recognize that it's countercultural. It's it's the opposite of the world that we live in. And the world that we live in points out flaws, doesn't it? If you don't look the right way, if you don't dress the right way, if you don't act the right way, it points out all the flaws, all the failures, all the shortcomings. Paul says, but love is called to protect. We don't point out flaws. We don't point out people's um, mistakes. In their vulnerability and in their pain, love covers over and protects that person. So this is really important. Love covers over, but it does not cover up. There's a big difference between these. If you're to cover up something, you're to hide or deny that something happened. But if you're to cover over, it's to protect someone in the midst of a difficult reality. It's not ignoring the mistake. It's not ignoring the circumstances. It's, it's admitting it, but it's covering them right in the midst of that difficult reality. True love will defend the character of a person as much as possible. It won't lie about weaknesses, but neither will it deliberately expose or emphasize them. So 1 Peter 4.8 says that above all, We're to love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. Now, recognizing the difference between covering over and forgiving. Our sins are forgiven by Christ alone. 
Now, if I, if I wrong you, I hope that you forgive me as well. But our sins are, are forgiven by Christ alone. But Paul's talking about the fact that our love can cover over somebody's mistakes. We can cover over people. And this is the kind of love that Paul is calling us to. So the question that it, that it begs for us is when someone does make a mistake, what is our response? How do we... Um, how do we interact with that person? What do we do with that mistake? Let me give you a biblical example from the Old Testament. Noah, Scripture says he was a righteous man. In fact, it says that he was faithful in his generation in serving God. But Noah got caught up in the sin of drunkenness. And there was one example where it was an extreme mistake that he made. He got drunk, and he ended up naked in his tent. And his sons walk in, and he is exposed, and he has made a mistake, and he is disgraced. And his first son, Ham, decides to take Noah's mistake and walk out and expose it to everyone. And he told everybody what his father had done. But fortunately, Noah had two other sons. And those two sons walked into the tent, and Scripture says they covered Noah. And they did not expose his mistakes. They didn't deny it. But rather than taking a mistake that their father had made and, and announcing it to the world, they chose to cover over. Now listen, that requires a lot of grace, even when it's your own family. But when it's somebody else, it's even more difficult. What you choose to do with somebody else's failure, what you choose to do with somebody else's sin or mistake, this is where Paul says, love chooses to protect it always protects does that mean even in difficult circumstances well paul said always does it mean even with difficult people because lord knows there's a lot of difficult people in this world love always protects it chooses to cover over now is that easy because here's what happens we were talking about this in the first service this morning there's this ebb and flow in our messages. And there's the funny stories and we laugh, and then there's the really uncomfortable conviction that settles in where we say, oh, crud. I, don't, I think there's probably better vernacular, more spiritual vernacular than saying it's an oh, crud moment. But when the Spirit of God points and says, I don't see that in you, how do you respond? How do you respond to other people's mistakes? Because though we've laughed about it and we've joked about it, that it's not us, it's other people. Listen, it's us. It's us. We make mistakes and we pray and we hope and we appreciate grace when people extend it to us. And yet, God's called us to actually be carriers of that kind of a love. Not just recipients. We've already received it. He has already covered over our sin but he's called us to be carriers of this now. So this is what Paul identifies first in this passage. Proverbs 10, 12 echoes this and says that love covers over all wrongs. So then Paul goes on to mention the next characteristic of true love, and he says that love always trusts. And this word trust is taken from a word that means to put one's faith or trust in something or someone. 
We trust someone. We trust something. But the tense that's used here lets us know that it's a constant, continuous, a trusting, a continuous trusting that things will turn out the very best. So the phrase could actually be taken to mean that love assumes the best in every situation. I think that's a great statement. Love assumes the best in every situation. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Nobody wants to raise their hand on this. Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? Is your first response to be negative or positive? Is the glass half full or is it half empty? Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? Paul tells us that love assumes the best. Now, don't misunderstand, because true love isn't ignorant and it's not blind. It sees everything. It sees the good, it sees the bad, it sees the ugly. So, you know, I I like to say I'm not optimistic or pessimistic, I'm realistic. That's my way of getting around, of really answering the question. I had a, a student I was thinking about as we were driving in today, a student a number of years ago that walked into our, the classroom and we had uh, a test planned for that day and student came in and said, Mr. Tanton, I am going to bomb this test. And I said, man, did you study last night? He goes, oh yeah. I said, well man, where's your faith then? Be positive. He goes, all right, I'm positive I'm going to bomb this test. <laughs> this, this trust, this, this faith that we have is not, it's not ignorant of reality, but it's choosing to put our, our faith or our belief in some one. Now, let me, let me pause here for a second. A lot of times we struggle because we, we put our trust in a person or a situation. And Scripture tells us, and we've experienced this, people will let us down. Circumstances will fail us. But God is faithful. And so this love that Paul is talking about, and when he says that, that love always trusts, it's not that we always trust circumstances or that we're just blind faith with people, but rather that we're able to see past those things to a faithful God. <clears throat> so love assumes the best. And I wouldn't just say that it's simply optimistic. I would say that love is confident and it's faith-filled. It's confident and it's faith-filled. So when Scripture says in Hebrews 11, 1, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about what we do not see, then we're able to say that love is this faith-filled expectation of the best in every situation. In fact, Galatians 5 also tells us the key is faith expressing itself in love. And because this faith is, this love is so filled with faith, it's able to push past the, the pessimism. Even if it's a reality, even if there's a negative uh, situation in front of them, faith is able to push past that pessimistic outlook that difficult situation, and it chooses to look beyond the problems and the conflicts to see a faithful God. See, I think that's so important for us when it comes to to living um, life, period, that naturally we see 
people that are in front of us, and we see situations and circumstances that are directly in front of us. And this, this trust that Paul is talking about is that we're not trusting in circumstances or people. We're, we're not ignorant of the situation that's in front of us, but we choose to look past it to a faithful God. Now, can I get an amen on that? Because that is where our peace lies. Now, wait, I, wait a second. I asked for an amen, and I didn't get one. So <laughs> let me pause. Can I, can I get an amen on that? Because circumstances will come. People will let us down. We will let other people down. But this trust that, that Paul is talking about here is our choice to look beyond people and circumstances to a faithful God. I think that's significant for each one of us. So this um, this situation here. This is our this is our our deal. If you could summarize this, our trust is ultimately not in people or situations, but rather in God Himself. It's not in people. It's not in circumstances. Our trust that Paul is talking about here is a trust that chooses to put our, put our eyes upon the Lord himself. So love, you could say it this way. This is another good statement here. Love continually presses ahead full of faith. Love presses ahead full of faith. It's not ignorant. It's not blind of the circumstances, but it chooses to focus on the Lord, on a faithful God, and chooses to press ahead. And so this is the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. Not just He's not just addressing the best in... Um, in situations, it's not just that we're choosing to, to assume the best or believe the best in a circumstance, but it's also that we're choosing to believe the best in people. Now that gets even more difficult sometimes. Love calls us <clears throat> to be trusting people who assume the best in others. So well, I asked the question a little bit ago, are, are you optimistic or pessimistic? Here's another good question. Do you assume the best or the worst in people? We base a lot of that on the past. We base a lot of it on our history with that person or our history with a circumstance. Last time, they did this. So I'm basing my belief on the past rather than basing my belief on the Lord or my trust upon him. But Paul actually talking about people as well. It doesn't mean that we are gullible when we assume the best, but it does mean that we're not suspicious and doubting of someone's character or their motives without good reason. Oftentimes, I think we get caught assuming the worst of people. And Paul says that's not how love operates. We assume the best. Listen, even if their actions offend you, no, no, no. If I get offended, it must be that they were wrong, right? Even if their actions offend you, though, Paul says love assumes the best. I have a great story about this. I was talking with my wife about it the other day. There was a lady who my wife met for the first time at one of our church services a number of years ago, and um, a comment that the lady had made in the foyer initially sounded very offensive, now, like, I was almost offended for my wife. But my wife chose to assume the best about this woman 
She called this woman up. They, they talked for a while. And here's what, here's the end result is this woman and her husband became one of our closest mentors in our life. Listen, we, we miss a lot of things when we assume the, the worst rather than assuming the best. Have you ever said something that didn't come out right? <laughs> Where your words betrayed your heart? Where what you spoke, we, I think we talked about this last week, you're, as soon as they're coming out of your mouth, you're trying to catch them and put them back in. You realize that did not come out the way that I meant it to. And in those moments, you hope that people assume the best. You hope that people know your heart, and they're, they're basing their belief and their trust on your heart, and they're assuming the best rather than misspoken words. So another great I guess process for us as we're, as we're internalizing this. How, what, what do we assume about people? If, there, if, if we've not been given real reason, are we assuming the worst? Paul says love trusts. It assumes the best in people. It assumes the best in situations. In a culture where people jump to accuse, love persists in trusting I trust. And so this phrase, always trust, could be translated, love strives with all its might to believe the very best in every person in every situation. Now the final characteristic that we're going to look at today is that love always hopes. And the Greek word for hopes is elpidzo, which depicts not only hope, but an expectation of good things. So it's not just a vain wish for something that may or may not happen, but rather a settled conviction that God will keep his word. A settled conviction. I believe, I expect these good things. God will keep his word. So to always hope then is to be confident that we will see the Lord's promises fulfilled in the days to come. So this hope that Paul is talking about is focused on the future. It's always looking forward. It's optimistic, but it's not stuck in the past. It's not looking backwards. And as we mentioned a few minutes ago, we often judge people, and we also, also often place our expectations based on how things happened in the past. My kid acted like this last time. I expect him to act like that again. We base our expectations on the past. But this hope that Paul is talking about, again, is focused on, it's, it's a faith-focused expectation that God is going to fulfill something. So if my child, who is still learning and growing, but they're making mistakes, and the last three times that this situation happened, they responded the wrong way, my expectation is not going to be based on their past, but it's based on a faithful God who is leading them and developing them and growing them. And I expect that one day their response is going to be the right one. Now take that away from um, the, the, this easy, um, non-condemning illustration of our children and place it on a coworker or another family member or a friend who has a habit of, of different things and our expectations begin to be placed on their past and how they've always acted. And that gets really difficult, doesn't it? 
I mean, here, let's, I like just calling things out. There were so many people that in just that moment were like elbowing people. And it's not a humorous thing as much as a, oh, crud. <laughs> oh, crud. I base my expectation on the past rather than on a faithful God. And Paul is saying love always hopes, places its expectations on a faithful God rather than a, a person's fallen past. And so we're in this moment again where we get stuck with, with our natural response and the culture that we live in, and then what God is offering us, this supernatural love and a, an opportunity to, to operate that's, that's different than the world in which we live. And so this, this hope, this expectation, let me, let, me, let me say this. The characteristic of hope is very similar to the trust. We just talked about trust. But it actually takes it a step further. So trust believes for the best, but hope expects it in the future. Now, I, I hit this every year when I fill out my March Madness bracket because I believe that a number 11 seed is going to knock off a number one team, but my expectation isn't actually realistic in that. So I oftentimes I'll fill out a... I'll fill out two brackets. Does anybody else do that? Here's the one that I want to happen, and here's the one that I expect to happen. There's a difference. There is a difference. And Paul is calling, the reason why he puts true love, uh, that, that love trusts and love hopes is because they're different. They are different. But we use the word hope to mean a lot of different things. Uh, I hope that I win the lottery when it's a billion to one odds, is not expecting to win the lottery. That may have been a poor example. However, there's a difference between what we believe and what we hope or what we expect. And so Paul separates these two. And I believe for the best, and we'll see, but I believe for the best versus I expect. I expect God to move in this situation. I expect, I fully, I'm basing this expectation on a faithful God, not on the person or the circumstance. I expect the good things. I expect the God things. And so Paul separates these two. And so when we say that we, we always hope, we're saying that we not only believe for the best, but we're filled with an expectation to see it fulfilled. You could say it this way. Love is filled with anticipation of good things in the future. In fact, you could say God things in the future. Love is filled with anticipation. I expect this to happen. It doesn't ignore the reality. If you're in a boat and it's sinking, you're not going to stand there and just say, I expect this thing to float. I expect this thing to float. You don't ignore the realities, but your hope, again, is not based on, those ex on the, the circumstances. It's based on a faithful God, on the promises of God. So when, when Scripture says in Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and then in Philippians 2, 13, where he says he's working in us to will and to do his good purposes. Love always hopes that God is going to use circumstances. Love always hopes, it expects, that God is going to work in people's lives. That's the love that Paul is talking about here. So this phrase could be explained that love always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. So as we wrap up this morning and we look into this mirror that we talked about at the beginning and we start to examine 
these characteristics. The question for us now is that do we see this kind of love reflected in our own life? And it brings us again to one of those, those oh crud moments. Because we do talk and we laugh until it settles in and we realize that this kind of love is not present. So what's the disconnect? What's the worst thing that we could do is we could gather on a Sunday, we could learn about love, we could laugh about love, but we fail to live this kind of love. And that's why these moments, these uncomfortable moments, are the most important part of our time together. What do you do with this? When the Holy Spirit is is kind of poking on you and it's uncomfortable and the Holy Spirit is saying, I don't see this kind of expectation in your life. If the Holy Spirit is saying, I don't see this kind of trust, but I'm looking for it. Or how about this? The Spirit of God is saying, I've not witnessed you covering over people. Guys, the the difference between us living this out or just learning about it is how we respond to the Spirit when he's talking to us. When, When my words have ended and the Spirit just begins, how do you respond? What do you do with that? We're going to take a moment as we close today to just respond to the Lord. First of all, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, let me tell you this. Christ has covered over your sin. Scripture tells us that. Christ has covered over your sin. Psalm 85.2 says, You forgave the iniquity of your people, and you covered all of their sins. And if you're here today and you want to receive that covering, you want your sins covered over, I know I do. If you want your sins covered over, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd like to accept Christ, I want to just invite you to pray this simple prayer with me today. You can say, God, I thank you for your great love for me. And and God, I recognize that it's a love that has covered over my mistakes. And it offers me a brand new life. Uh, uh, This is a love, God, that that, um, is, is looking to lead me into the future. God, I thank you for that love that you have for me, that you demonstrated first for me. And today, Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, and I invite you to become the Lord of my life, and I ask that you'd give me the strength to follow you from this day forward. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Listen, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to be able to just celebrate with you and to be able to support you in your walk with the Lord. And so at the end of our service today, uh, we're going to have some prayer teams that are going to be up here to be able to pray for the needs of the congregation. But also, here's what I would like to ask. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time or maybe it was just a recommitment to the Lord, would you take a moment and let one of our prayer teams know? We, again, would love to pray with you, support you, encourage you as a church community today, but also we want to be able to celebrate with you. So would you guys take a moment and just congratulate those who prayed that prayer with us for the first time today. So once again, we're going to wrap this up here. We need to wrap this up here, don't we? Um, This love that protects, what's that look like in your life? This love that trusts, it believes for the best in people and in circumstances. 
What's that look like right now? How's that going? And this love that, that hopes is focused on a faithful God and it expects God things to happen. Right now as we close this portion, I would just want to give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord and just say, God, what you have demonstrated for us, we're not asking that you would do in us. Would you guys bow your heads as we close today? Father, we do thank you for this great love, this uh, supernatural love, this true love that you have demonstrated in our lives. And God, um, we ask today that we would not leave this room unchanged. God, we ask that the power of your word, as we have jumped into it today, and as, we have, as we've looked at these three different characteristics of love, God, we ask that it would transform us now, that it would shape us, that we would be um, molded into the image of your son, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to learn how to protect those around us in their time of need, that you would help us to assume the best in others, and that we would have this faith-filled expectation of God things happening. It's in your son's name that we're able to pray these things, and all God's people said, amen.